be addressed, but I just wanted to thank you for pulling this together for all of us to have this dialogue with you. No problem. You know, PennDOT, we're about transparency. We work for you. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're not doing anything that's not clear and that the public has knowledge about. And obviously, it's your community that this development is proposed in. So, you know, it's only right that, you know, you get an opportunity to ask questions. I do need to make it clear it's not a PennDOT project. So, you know, we don't usually, we're not usually the ones hosting the venue for this type of thing that usually occurs at the township level. But we're certainly here and happy to answer any and all of your questions. You know, there's a lot of people on the call, so I don't know if we really have, we should spend a lot of time doing, introducing everyone, but I certainly don't want to leave everyone out. My name is Fran Haney. I'm the Senior Division Manager for Transportation Services at PennDOT, aka Traffic Engineer. We have Jane Blom from my office, who is the Special Assistant to the District Executive. Lou Belmont, who is the District Executive, sends his regards and apologies. He wanted to be on the call, but he had an urgent family engagement at 515 and could not. We have other representatives from our signal sections, all senior management folks, and I have my consultant reviewer from McCormick-Taylor, that's Andy Parker, on the call as well. I hope I didn't miss anyone, but that's everyone from the PennDOT side. Well, thank you. From Newtown Crossing, myself, Peter Ancona, and I know Jim Downey is on by telephone, and I think I heard your voice earlier, Jim. And I guess the other community associations, if you guys want to identify who all is on from there, that would be helpful. Hi, everyone. This is Jack Grove from Crown Point. This is Dennis Schoener and Jack Longworth from Eagle Ridge. And just a formality, I guess if you're not speaking, you really shouldn't mute your mic so we don't get feedback because I'm hearing a lot of echo. Thanks, Dennis. I don't think Barbara Lange from Liberty Square is going to be able to get on. I had heard back from her, and she sounded like she was tentative, and it doesn't sound like she's on the call. I think we have the HOAs represented here. And I guess, John and Kyle, did you guys already – I don't know whether we got anybody else from the township besides the two of you. I haven't seen anybody but Jack, but John and myself. Okay, thanks for both of you guys for joining us. I appreciate it. Peter, if I may, I'm Perry Warren, State Representative, District 31. I represent Newtown Township. Also, Ryan Bevitz, my Senior Constituent Services Advisor for my office. And I serve on the House Transportation Committee, and I ask that Meredith Bajika, who is the Democratic Executive Director of the House Transportation Committee, join the call, and she's on as well. Thank you. Thank you, Representative, for joining us, and your folks as well. My name is Shannon Sticker. I am the Constituent Service Director for Senator Steve Santacero, who represents the 10th District. Thank you very much for joining. Yes, you're here. Well, I sort of initiated this, I guess. Certainly, there's been a lot of dialogue over the last few years. Peter? 
Peter. Oh, by the uh, way, do we have, like, I guess, Chris or Jason or any of the Arcadia? Good afternoon, everyone. This is Jason Duckworth, president of Arcadia Land Company. I appreciate everyone gathering and uh, taking time after normal business hours to discuss access to our project. Um, we do have uh, representatives from McMahon Associates who have assisted us with all the traffic planning and engineering uh, up to this point. I think I see Jeff Damon. Um, is Chris Williams also with us? Yeah, Jason, this is Chris Williams. Uh, I'm on the call. Uh, also, Jeff Gaiman in my office and Brian DiBiase from the command is on the call as well. Well, thanks, guys, for being here. Yeah, thanks, Jason, and your, your folks for joining as well. Um, you know, I think that, as, uh, as you pointed out, Fran, it's, uh, you know, this really is a uh, township project, and uh, um, but you know, given its proximity to SR 532 and 332 and 413 and all, obviously has a big impact. Um, and as we're, we've been working through this, trying to come up with a win-win scenario, given that the development's going to be built, um, how we could best uh, accommodate the ingress and egress of traffic for that development, both uh, residential as well as service type traffic, um, you know, larger vehicles, emergency vehicles, things like that. Um, we've been uh, working to try to come up with something that addresses some of the concerns of the residents uh, that already are in the area and the HOAs that are represented here. And, um, and, and that's really the purpose of the call was given the alternatives that were originally presented and some uh, follow-up dialogue that we've had about some some tweaks to some of those ideas that might actually improve the uh, improve the access and ingress and uh, I guess service to the traveling public and um, and also minimize some of the impacts to the uh, traveling public that you know this development and doing something at that intersection would have so. Um, I guess that being said, there's kind of two additional things that were talked about. One was uh, alternative two in what, you know, was previously submitted has been tweaked. And, um, and I'll let Chris talk to some of the enhancements that were done based on some of the conversations we had about it. And then um, Dennis Schoner probably wants to talk just for a little bit about um, what he sent out yesterday regarding what was originally alternative one. And um, and I'm not that familiar with that one, so I'll let Dennis and anyone that, you know, is, is on that can discuss that one. Um, but I, I guess kind of taking a step back from that for a second, one thing that was, I guess, I was just looking for, and the reason for initiating this call was just to better understand um, uh, you know, my background is civil engineering. I worked for uh, PICO for 36 years, and uh, I was the facility relocation guy at the beginning of my career, so I worked with PennDOT quite a bit, and I know there was a lot of standards and criteria for, you know, facilities along uh, subjective criteria like uh, safety considerations. I don't know whether there's objective metrics for, or, you know, measures for those or standards, um, but I, I guess just in general, if, if we could better understand um, the, the criteria that goes into uh, your folks, Fran, evaluating 
options like we are in this case and you know what makes a uh, kind of a best balance choice overall when you consider those different standards whether there's different weights and things like that um, because uh, I think with you know with what we've seen and even with the modified uh, alternatives that, that Chris has done some modeling on um, you know the seems like alternative four uh, has modeled best in terms of service levels with with what we've seen at least so far um, the the modified to to Charlie as it is now in the uh, the latest thing that Chris did certainly models way better than it did last time in terms of uh, service level and delays and things like that but um, it seems to me that's just you know one criteria that you guys would use in terms of uh, uh, deciding from your perspective what's a winner or what's not a winner so. Um, well, Peter, just, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, what, what I will tell you is, obviously, you're correct. You're 100% correct. We use more than just level of service, more than just seconds of delay, uh, although that is a very strong and strident criteria that we do use. That's, uh, you know, reported in the uh, traffic studies and analysis and, and those types of things, and we have all uh, nationally accepted standards and mathematics that that go into evaluating those types of things. But beyond that, we go ahead and look at the area. We look at the terrain. We look at the safety of the movements. We look at, okay, what does this mean? Okay, it's a, it's a, you know, a 30 second increase in delay, but where is the car going? What What is the weaving that has to occur? What type of turns does it have to make to, um, you know, either come into an access or, or uh, you know, navigate an access, navigate an intersection. Uh, what types of gaps exist for that turn? You know, are they going to be able to make that turn? Are vehicles going to be queued and thus, you know, uh, even though there's no one coming in one direction, there's a bunch of cars sitting there in a, in a left turn lane and they, they're still stymied trying to get in or out, you know. So there's... Um, and then, you know, human nature. What what would a reasonable person uh, do as far as behavioral-wise? Uh, they see something wide open in front of them, yet there's some little sign that says they shouldn't do that. Is that reasonable to expect them to uh, follow that behavior? So you're 100% right, Peter. We, we do take into account uh, various types of things, along with our, our general knowledge of the area and our... Uh, many, many decades of uh, experience in, in trying to assess these things and make judgments. Thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and I, I don't know how, you know, there's it's, a lot of this stuff turns out to be more uh, art than science when you kind of mix all those things up in the pot and try to come up with what's the best, uh, you know, the best overall choice. Um, it's nice to objectify things as much as possible, but I guess I was trying to get a sense too. Um, I mean, all those things that you just went through are very helpful and, uh, and make a lot of sense to me. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, kind of when it comes down to it, you look at all those things is, uh, um, you just try to pick the best thing or just certain things have more weight than others, or I guess, uh, is that where sort of the art comes into it? Uh, obviously safety is our number one priority. So, I mean, you know, that can trump level of service when you know it, it comes down to it um we want everyone to be safe we want everyone to go home to their family at night you know and and, and arrive at work safe and and that sort of thing and 
So, so really that is our top priority, but obviously these other factors, uh, of course, come into play because we, we do want it to be efficient as well. Mm -hmm. So does the driving public. <laughs> For sure. Thanks. Um, well, that, that's helpful to me just as kind of a, a starting point. Um, and hopefully for the other people that are on the call as well. Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll take a pause there and see whether the other HOA uh, folks have questions about some of that background type stuff that, that you want to ask of uh, a friend and his team. Yeah, yeah, it's just as kind of shoulder. Um, yeah, it, I know uh, some important things that come into sight, uh, come into play when determining the safety is line of sight for the people in the traffic uh, coming in and out or crossing over uh, is a big thing. Also, the speed limits. Um, I noticed the Sycamore speed limit that's posted is 35 miles per hour coming from town, but that sign is way back by the 7-Eleven. Um, the speed limit increases to 45 mile per hour uh, as soon as it crosses the highway, I'm assuming, but that sign doesn't occur until after um, milk pond. Uh, so I'm not sure uh, what some of the studies that, that have been presented based on who's traveling at what speed and what's their line of sight. My, my understanding is the uh, speed limit on this section of Buck Road is 45 miles an hour, and everything has been evaluated with that as its basis. Yeah, but, um, but um, you know, all right. Uh, I, I, as long as the, uh, that is a factor that comes into play, especially line of sight and uh, um, the speed limits. Yeah, any access must have uh, line of sight. There is no exception to that rule. Now, there's desirable line of sight, and then there's minimum allowable line of sight. And generally, you start with the desirable, and then you evaluate, you know, other factors. Uh, if for some reason they cannot obtain a desirable line of sight, okay, what's the speed of the road? How fast is the traffic actually going? What are those other factors? Are they addressable? Are they fixed objects? You know, we, we like to joke around here that, you know, every inn uh, George Washington slept in and, 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 and you can't move it, you know, and, and, and oftentimes they're built right on the road, things like that. Um, so, yes, you're 100% on to something there, Dennis, and, and we do absolutely look at that kind of thing. Uh, and the other, other thing, that, uh, you know, um, when you are approaching a, a, a connection, uh, what is the uh, distance that you need for deceleration or acceleration coming out? Uh, it is, um, it was all that also considered? Yes, there are mathematical equations that are utilized based on the volumes of the roadway, volumes of the development, volumes of turns, that, that sort of thing to evaluate whether those types of auxiliary lanes are warranted. Um, so that's that's very easily easily calculated. But once again, I, I don't want this to sound like all we do is mathematical calculations, as I had explained uh, right. to Peter. We, we look at other factors as well. All right, thank you. I, uh, well, I had one other question: um, the traffic volume in and out of the intersection, uh, out of the uh, that connection point. 
Does that include the traffic from the church and special church services and, and, and in addition to normal traffic coming out from the, uh, the, uh, the development? I believe it does. Chris, can you please confirm that? You're on mute, Chris. Thank you, Fran. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. We did take into consideration the church traffic and we counted some of their uh, special event activities uh, as part of our evaluation. Great, great, thank you. Hey, Jack, Jack Broad, uh, did you have any questions? Not at this time, Pete. Okay, thanks. Um, I'm just wondering, and I know uh, this has kind of been a work in progress and people may not have a chance to uh, see some of it. After the last township meeting that we had, um, we uh, I, I met outside the uh, township uh, meeting room with, with Jason and Eric, his project manager for this project, and um, you know, asked about doing some additional work in preparation for this discussion, um, which they, uh, you know, said they would do. And Chris uh, did that and sent that out yesterday. And that was uh, primarily focused on um, on alternative two and uh, making some of the changes that you saw in the different proposals there. So I'm not sure how much people may have seen or gotten a chance to review that yet, but you know, there is work going on relative to that alternative. Um, I, I guess uh, just just relative to that, um, one question that I have, and if you haven't really had a chance to see it, it, it does um, uh, kind of include one of the questions I'd asked about adding the second right-hand turn lane similar to alternative four on northbound Buck Road. Um, it also, uh, was enhanced with uh, with Chris and his team's uh, guys taking a look at, you know, how they would do it, <laughs> kind of putting their creative hats on and seeing how how best could you could you uh, tweak this thing to make it work better. And one thing was to move realign the uh, service road um, entrance point to the intersection to uh, make a, a larger queue area between Mill Pond and the stop bar. Um, which seems like it's a, a significant improvement in terms of service level. So I thought that was a, uh, was a nice creative addition. Um, the one thing that, that I haven't talked to Chris about since, since uh, he did some of those additional design changes and modeled those was um, I keep bringing this intersection up because for the years, a lot of the years that I worked for, uh, for Pico, I used to work over in the Plymouth meeting complex over there, chemical road. And, and I used to have to, take the back roads over to get on the turnpike going westbound. And um, one of the intersections that used to be a real bear um, as volumes increased at SR 611 and Mill and Sycamore there, that five-way corner, was um, the uh, um, addition of when the smart signalization became available, computerized signalization, that um, you know, the predominant traffic pattern is north and southbound 611 and people on Mill Road trying to get 
uh, on to 611 southbound to get on the turnpike. And uh, I'm assuming your folks are, I don't know how it all works, who, who does what, whether it's a township working with PennDOT or what, but man, they figured out that, oh, well, if we, uh, you know, only give the people on the Sycamore, the two uh, inner corners of Sycamore Street, which are less volume and much uh, lower, lower traffic, um, every other signal, or maybe it's even every third signal, depending on what the cues are, uh, at certain times of day that, uh, that that really improved the, you know, the traffic through the intersection. And I was asking Chris, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about the software and these signals these days or not, whether doing something like that in addition to, uh, um, you know, all the stuff that he did model would, uh, would have some improvements and, and what all the, you know, whether that's an allowable thing to consider and, and that sort of thing. So, um, Chris was going to, you know, dig into that a little bit, but Fran, I know, you know, you guys probably have this stuff all over the uh, District 6 or whatever, so I just figured I'd kind of ask a question in general for, for you guys. I, I know of one location where that was done, and it was basically to service a church at a, a very large intersection off of Route 100 in western Montgomery County, and it was uh, it, it was to come up every other cycle. Mm -hmm. And the volumes were even less than, than what is proposed here. And the amount of widening that was done in association with the, the it's Upland Square, if anyone's heard of it, Upland Square. And the, they created what, what was perhaps derogatorily uh, labeled as the largest intersection in Montgomery County. <laughs> so the... <laughs> We, we never really, it never dawned on us that that's what was happening, but they added so many lanes to Route 100 and turning lanes and everywhere else that uh, the the minuscule amount of traffic that was uh, uh, accommodated by that uh, fifth leg, if you will, and every other cycle did not have um, enough of an effect on the intersection because the other thing it was, it, it rarely came up to do because it, it was basically a, Sunday service thing, and I think there might have been a landscaping company back there. So that, that, that's the one location that I, that I know of. And I'm thinking 611 and Mill, that was a fifth leg. I think they redeveloped that shopping center, and we took out that fifth leg um, more recently. But I, I may be mixing up locations. I think right below that, there's one more light that they put in for the uh, Home Depot and, and the exit, the actual exit ramp from uh, people coming off the turnpike. Um, you know, trying to get on northbound 611. So I know where you're talking about, but I, I just was out there the other day for the first time in a while. And as far as I could tell, I was kind of there during off-peak times, but the intersection still looks the same. I don't know whether the signalization was like that because I was like the first person in line in Mill Road at that point. I, I do want to be careful about this location because, you know, people's expectations. And, you know, there's going to be 49 families that, that are living in here. And, you know, when you force someone to wait for an inordinate amount of time, they start to make poor decisions. Mm -hmm. So uh, to, to try to consider like in every other cycle, every third cycle access to this signal may not be the uh, may not be a safe thing. Because once again, going back to your comment about considering other factors, you know, while on paper there may be some numerical benefit to it, I don't know that it's a good idea in reality. Yeah, I mean that's that's 
definitely valid. And I would think two cycles, people would probably start thinking, well, the light's broken, you know, especially if they're not people that live there. Um, and then they, like you said, they start doing weird things and, um, you certainly don't want that. But, um, but anyway, I, I just, uh, I, it seemed like a pretty creative way to address an issue. And, you know, that I'm guessing at certain times of the day, uh, there's going to be, you know, some number of people trying to get out of there since, uh, since it's people that are going to be working just like everybody else does. Um, but I just thought if that's, uh, if that is an option and certainly something to, you know, consider from a uh, modeling point of view, um, it certainly models much better with the second right turn lane. And I was just wondering about that. So that's something I guess, you know, Chris and I could work off here. Yeah, I, I got to be completely honest with you. Uh, we're not comfortable going okay. that route. Okay. okay. And, and I would also suggest that perhaps we want to go through these alternatives. Okay. Uh, so we can explain, you know, how they were evaluated. I, I, I think everyone wants to understand how we looked at these things and, uh, you know, why we have come to the uh, tentative decision that we've we've come to. And, and you know, so we can better promote understanding. And so I don't know, um, Chris, maybe just describing the, the modifications, because there has been some modifications to uh, the alternative two. There's now three different versions of it, but there was four alternatives altogether. So perhaps you just want to describe those and then we can talk about the pros and cons of them. A, um, some kind of visual aid, like I asked last, just, you know, we're all, I mean, you're, you're, we all have nice faces to look at, but I, I'd like to get a visual. So as we go through these, we can get a better sense of what you were, you know, That's the fair, engineering right? team looking at. Yeah, thanks. Do you have that, Chris? Or? Yeah, I can, I can pull up an exhibit uh, that Thanks. shows the, the four options that we started with. Um, here, bear with me one second. All right, so where do I share a screen? Is that open share tray? I think you can do, yeah, and then you go through Spotlight Me, and that gets it on you, and then you can share screens from there. I'm sorry, say that again? So you start with spotlight me, like on the on the corner, the, le the lower left corner of your square, on, you, you would click on spotlight me. It's not the button right next to the leave button with the arrow pointing. Oh, that, that's your contents, yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's your content. Yeah, okay. Chris, just hit that. It's a simple way to do it. So I'm not seeing any of those buttons. I'm using, um, I'm in the web browser. I'm not using the... Uh, Oh. Teams app. Okay. So I don't know if that's the issue. That is probably the issue. Let me see what I have here. Hey, Chris, I'm I'm doing the same thing, and if there is a, there should be at the bottom out of a series of icons, and one is something called a share tray. Okay, I found it. I found it. That's what I'm doing, Jason. I just found that. All right. Oh, there we go. You see it? Yep. Okay, so let me walk through, uh, these are the four options that were first studied. And uh, these options were identified as, as a result of the settlement agreement between Arcadia Newtown Holdings and the township. And these were the four options that were agreed upon that would be studied. Uh, alternative one involved entrance, uh, entering and exiting movements 
via the service road intersection with Buck Road, uh, but also included an exiting movement onto Newtown Bypass. So that was alternative one. Alternative two has all traffic coming in and out of the service road at Buck Road, but what it does is it signalizes the service road intersection with Buck, with Buck Road and ties that new signalized leg, uh, ties it into the traffic signal at the bypass. So it integrates everything into sort of one larger five-legged intersection with the service road being the new fifth leg. Alternative three, um, and I think this is actually So alternative three is showing, well, alternative three we're not doing. Alternative three had an unsignalized left turn exit, uh, exiting the service road, but that really doesn't work at all. It's an unsafe condition. And, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about that. Alternative four is leaving the service road essentially as it is today whereby you have entering and you have the entering movements, you only have the right turn exiting movement, uh, but then the, what we're introducing is a new U-turn movement, uh, allowing for U-turns to occur at the Mill Pond Road intersection for that traffic to then turn around, travel north on Buck Road, and then we're introducing double right turn lanes on northbound Buck Road for traffic that wishes to turn right onto the bypass. And that the addition of those double right turn lanes was to accommodate the added traffic from the U-turn, but also we know we've got a problem today with a recurring issue, uh, especially in the morning with northbound Buck Road traffic queuing up from the bypass and extending to and through the Mill Pond Road intersection. So these were the four original options. Um, let me go to now the modified options. So, these are the modified options for which I just shared information yesterday. Uh, this is alternative 2A, which is the same as alternative 2 that I talked about before, whereby simply we signalize the service road intersection with Buck Road and we tie it into the bypass intersection. So 2A is the same as the old alternative 2. Uh, now we have alternative 2B, and this is the alternative that uh, Peter asked about. Um, he was curious as to why with alternative two, you know, why didn't we include the dual right turn lane? So with alternative 2B, it's the same as 2A, whereby the only difference being we've introduced the two right turn lanes on northbound Buck Road. And that adds more capacity for northbound Buck Road to address the, help improve the queuing condition on Buck Road. And it adds more capacity uh, at the intersection with the bypass. And then alternative 2C is a new sort of variation on alternative 2. Uh, right now, uh, the service road intersection with uh, Buck Road is, I don't know, 75 to 100 feet. They're apart. They're, they're separated by, I'll say, 75 to 100 feet. So with alternative 2C, this is sort of a new idea. What if we relocate the service road so that it intersects with Buck Road even closer to the bypass? We can't physically make it a part of the bypass intersection, uh, but we could move its theoretically move its intersection with Buck Road closer to the bypass, 
still signalize it as a fifth leg, but by moving it closer to the bypass, it now takes less time for a vehicle entering or exiting the service road to be able to clear through the intersection. Uh, and by taking less time to do so, uh, you're, you're, you're not wasting valuable green time for the traffic signal that could, could be given to other important traffic movements. Uh, also with alternative 2C, we're, we're maintaining the dual right turn lanes that previously never existed with alternative two. So those, and yeah, and those it. So those, and we still have alternative four. We've left alternative four in the mix because at least at this point, uh, alternative four is the alternative that is showing uh, the best operational results. So those were the alternatives that were uh, sent around yesterday. Um, I do have the results of those alternatives if we want to walk through them. Um, I'll keep talking and somebody until somebody tells me not to. Uh, so we looked at, you know, safety and all the other issues aside that certainly come into play in making decisions. Operationally, there are generally two things that are looked at. One is level of service or the amount of delay that's experienced at the intersection. Uh, and then the other measure is queuing. And queuing really is an indicator of congestion, right? If we have lots of queuing, uh, and excessive queuing, that indicates an intersection that is over capacity. Uh, similarly, delay, if we have a lot of excess delay, that shows an that indicates an intersection that is uh, is over capacity and just really can't accommodate the, uh, the traffic volume demand. So in this table, um, we'll start with the alternative two options, 2A, 2B, 2C. First of all, we're comparing everything to what the conditions are in the intersection if we do nothing, right? So uh, if we do nothing at the Buck Road, Newtown Road, or Newtown Bypass Service Road intersection, if we do nothing in the future, in the year 2029, which is our horizon year, the level of service for that intersection in the morning is an F with 90, 89.8 seconds of delay. And in the evening, it's an E with 70.4 seconds of delay. So then if we walk through alternative 2A, 2B, and 2C, you can see how the delays change. And so what happens in the morning with each of those alternatives, the delay is worse than it would be if we did nothing. So 2A has the highest delay of 143 seconds. 2B gets a little better, but still worse. It's 114 seconds. Alternative 2C has 106 seconds of delay. So by moving the service road closer to the bypass, we can clear traffic in and out of the service road a little bit more effectively, but the addition of that fifth leg and that added phase to the intersection, although it's maybe helping the service road, it's penalizing the rest of the intersection and it's adding delay for the rest of the intersection. And most notably, it's taking away valuable green time from the bypass. So it's causing the overall level of service. Uh, although it's not as bad as 2A and 2B, the overall level of service with 2C is worse than what it would be in the future if we did nothing. And the results are similar in the afternoon as well. Uh, the delay differences, uh, 2A, the delay increases by 53 and 62 seconds. 2B increases by 24 and 61 seconds. 2C, less of an increase, but still a 16 second increase in delay in the morning and a 53 second increase in delay in the afternoon. Um, Buck Road in the bypass, this, this bottom row, this is a separate row because alternative four, which is the U-turn option, 
alternative four doesn't introduce a fifth leg. So alternative four is modeled differently. So with alternative four, uh, in the future, if we do nothing, and part of what's involved here is we have to use different software. Uh, the software that we use to model a five-leg intersection is different than the software that we use to model a four-leg intersection. So with that in mind, uh, the, the delay in the future, uh, if we do nothing, is an F with 124 seconds and, a, and an E with 79 seconds. But then with alternative four, not adding the fifth leg and the added signal phase, but, but introducing the U-turn movement, the intersection's improved. It's at a, a 70.6 second delay. It improves from an F to an E. Uh, and in the afternoon, it's still an E with a slightly, slightly less delay. Uh, the delay change is more significant in the morning. It's a 54 second reduction in delay for the intersection in the morning and only about a five second reduction in delay in the afternoon. The, the, the morning is the more noticeable improvement. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, and then I'll kind of open it up to the floor here, um, looking at queuing, and we're just focusing on the queuing in the northbound direction. Um, the, the amount of stacking distance from the intersection with the bypass and the intersection to Mill Pond. With alternatives 2A and 2B, we've got 720, uh, 720 feet of stacking distance. With alternative 2C, by moving the service road closer to the bypass, we can increase our stacking distance to 830 feet. And then with alternative 4, which is really what we have today, the distance between the bypass and Mill Pond, you've got 860 feet of distance between Mill Pond and the bypass. Uh, with alternative 2A in the morning, there's really no issue in the afternoon per se. Uh, with alternative 2A, the maximum uh, queuing in the morning peak hour is for the right turn movements, and we have 1,203 feet of, of queuing. And that distance, that, that, that length of stacking exceeds the 720 feet that is available. Alternative 2B and 2C, because we're now introducing the dual right turn lanes, we're able to mitigate the queuing. So the queuing is less. It's 401 feet, it's 380 feet, and that is less than the total distance between the two intersections. At least according to this model, there is other modeling that we could run. I'm not sure that it would produce the same results, but this is at least an apples, relatively an apples to apples comparison. And, uh, and then with alternative four, we were always showing uh, that we can accommodate the queue on northbound and not exceed the available stacking. So uh, basically the short story here is adding the dual right turn lanes under alternatives 2B, 2C, or, or, or alternative four significantly helps address the queuing on northbound Buck Road in the morning. Uh, but what's a little less clear and a little bit more unresolved in terms of finding a clear solution is the delay impact that occurs with alternatives 2A, 2B, and 2C that we don't have with alternative four. So I guess that would be a summary of the various alternatives and, and the, the more the, the latest information that we shared yesterday. Thank you, Chris. This does uh, just a couple questions. Um, when the when you widen it to uh, two right hand turn lanes, do you lose the right on red that was presently allowed on uh, the bypass? Um, so now you have two lanes that have to totally stop and cannot make right-hand turns? Uh, that, yeah. 
Yeah, we would not ahead, allow Frank. dual right turn movements on red. It's it's a safety issue. Um, the other other question I have is, uh, and I know it's the uh, the elephant in the room is the U turn at, at um, Mill Pond. Um, the um, right now the, the only thing that's been modeled at that intersection has been a sedan making that U turn. Um, I don't know um, any signage changes that would uh, make it safer for. Uh, or where's the uh, trucks going to go? How's this going to be enforced uh, to limit any U-turns at, at the uh, Mill Pond intersection? I know uh, coming down um, Buck Road South, um, I never noticed it, but people coming north, there's a bump in the road, and you don't have line of sight um, for people if they, somebody wants to uh, make an illegal turn. Um, and the other other issue is um, signage uh, or the uh, traffic light at the uh, bypass. Um, you know, making all these changes and you know having another way in and out at that location. Um, what happens if the uh, there's a, a failure of power, which happens occasionally, and maybe be seeing more of that when the lights just start blinking red? Nobody has the right away. Uh, going through that intersection, it's going to be a free fall, free for all, not just a you know a four way uh, intersection. So I, I don't know if that uh, weighs into your evaluations. Chris, I believe we modeled the single unit truck, not just the passenger vehicle. No, so uh, we can accommodate the U turn movement for up to a large SUV or a large pickup truck, like an oversized pickup truck, uh, an SU-30 does not work, Frank. And we we have found other examples, so there, there needs to be a signing solution. Uh, we've It's been used in other situations with a, a new, no U-turn sign uh, with a truck for trucks only uh, applicability. And so that would be the kind of signing that would have to be installed at that location. Um, and in those cases, it would be no difference than what exists today, right? So trucks, if they if they want to do that today, you know, they're familiar. If they're they're making deliveries in the area, they can use Mill Pond Road or other roads to to travel within the area. But yeah, we cannot accommodate a truck making that U-turn movement, and we'll have the right signing in place to enforce that. Okay, thank you. And uh, that's one of the problems that's been uh, on Mill Pond for a long time when trucks and even cars make a right-hand turn onto um, mill ponds, uh, they meander through the neighborhoods using our courts and our side streets to make their U-turns. I've witnessed it many times. Uh, when you see them turn down, uh, left down Cherry Lane into Newtown Crossing or right come up through Eagle Ridge, uh, you see them all the time using our developments um, to make these U-turns to get back to Mill Pond to come back out. Uh, that's uh, just going to get worse with uh, additional traffic. But, uh, yeah, I'm concerned about science. You and your team may not be aware of this, but one of the um, decisions that was made at the settlement agreement discussion times was that uh, Newtown 
crossing um, Mill Pond Road specifically was going to be posted for uh, local deliveries only for trucks, you know, basically no trucks other than local deliveries um, for construction, but also permanent signage for construction during the building of Arcadia, but permanently for, um, for after that. So that's going to create, I guess, ripple effect down mm-hmm. downstream as to where they go or enforcement issues if people decide to do it anyway, regardless of the signage. Pete, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I just want to correct. I, I, am, I am aware of the, the construction vehicle limitation that we agreed to and which we will enforce privately, but I'm not aware of the settlement agreement agreement having long-term prohibitions on traf- truck movements on Mill Pond. Yeah, um, I don't know whether, you know, John or Kyle are uh, well, going to comment on that. That may have been outside the actual settlement agreement, but the township... Um, Agreed, and it's in the uh, it's in the writing of the. I thought it was the actual document that that they were going to. I I thought it was too because that's an issue I brought up. I mean, <clears throat> maybe I read it wrong, but you should go over and look at it again because we mentioned that at the meeting specifically, and um, I think it's right in the the settlement agreement. It wasn't on you guys, Jason, to do it. It was really the township public works people were going to just, they, they agreed, the township agreed to do that and uh, built that into it, that that was going to be posted that way. I would like to address the uh, the issue at hand. Okay. Uh, right now, I understand U-turns are prohibited at this intersection. Uh, they have proposed making some minor adjustments to the intersection itself to facilitate uh, the passenger vehicles and up to, you know, larger, uh, you know, uh, uh, non-commercial vehicles to be able to make that U-turn. And uh, trucks will still be prohibited from making that U-turn. So there's really no difference in the amount of trucks that would go down Mill Pond Road other than if somehow some trucks from the site ignored the prohibitions. And in fact, there could be less vehicles now using Mill Pond because now instead of being prohibited from making that U-turn, I'm talking about passenger vehicles now, they would now be uh, both allowed and accommodated. So that could actually reduce the number of vehicles that turn into Mill Pond and make those, those U-turns that uh, you know, are undesirable. I, I didn't want to necessarily get stuck on this one alternative, even though it's the one that you know, we feel is the uh, best option here, given the, un, you know, unfortunate situation. I mean, do I wish this development had better access? Absolutely. Do I wish we were further away from the bypass and could do a more traditional uh, access? Absolutely. But we're not. This is the reality of what we have. So I, I kind of feel like I should explain to you why we're not in favor uh, and or cannot support the other alternatives, including the fifth leg, if that's okay with you guys. And I don't know if we have time to go through uh, option 1A. I, I can share my screen. Um, well, 1A was access to the bypass, and I, and I yeah. can go through it very succinctly if, if you would like. Uh, well, yeah, well, the, the, the question comes in, and um, if the access was moved further north from where it's presently shown, would you have enough um, distance in order to um, 
go uh, up safely to the uh, Buck Road intersection. Uh, the one A was the breaking the limited access. That was my understanding of that option. Are you talking about a different one? Yeah, variation of. Um, let me uh, hold on. Figure out how I can share this. Well, well, well the, Dennis, I don't mean to cut you off, but I mean I can explain why that's kind of a non-starter, regardless of where you put it. There is very specific criteria, and uh, contained in the our design manuals uh, when it comes to limited access and breaks in limited access. This is why you don't see driveways up and down the bypass. Um, the limited access is kind of held at a different uh, level because it's designed to facilitate high-speed, non-conflict movement through an area. And in order to break limited access, there's a series of criteria that have to be met. There's eight different types of criteria. And I can tell you, uh, I mean, I could go through them, obviously, but like you said, in the interest of time, this proposal for an individual driveway to serve an individual development does not meet a single one of those criteria, okay? Typically, when you're breaking limited access, you're doing it for a, a very large public road that is going to pr provide a region-wide community benefit, or you're providing, you're breaking that limited access to create like an emergency services access to the limited access facility itself, thus improving the safety of the access itself. This, and then the other part of the um, criteria contained in the publication talks about uh, it's only to be considered when there isn't other alternatives that would uh, satisfactorily address the access needs, which in this case there, in our opinion at least, there clearly are other suitable and safe alternatives that would address the access needs. So, uh, you know, moving further along, say, even if it uh, uh, even remotely addressed any of those criteria, it has to be supported at the local level in, in District 6. It then has to go to Harrisburg, be supported by the central office level. But more critically, it has to go to the Federal Highway Administration. Okay. We can't unilaterally uh, approve an access like that. And I can tell you, based on my many decades of experience, other, and I'm not the only one that has looked at this, um, what's proposed right now, it, I don't think it would make it past the district, let alone Harrisburg, and there is no way Federal Highways would ever even begin to consider uh, that option. So in a nutshell, that's why that option is not, it's really a non-starter. I, I know that's not great news to everybody, but I, I, better that I be honest with you than, uh, you know, not be frank. We go to option two in, in, in any form. Obviously, the moving it closer to the intersection was a significant improvement, as we saw with the uh, level of service tables. Yet, it remains a significant degradation to the intersection. Um, but, you know, as I said earlier, we review other factors, as Peter had brought up at the beginning of this meeting. What does it mean to have a fifth leg at that intersection, okay? 
what are the mechanics? What are the logistics of it? Okay. We have dual left turn lanes coming out of Buck Road. We have dual left turn lanes coming westbound on the bypass. Okay. If you were going to go ahead and create a fifth leg there, it's going to need its own separate phase where the entire intersection stops to let anyone out. Okay. So when the car is coming out of there, and, and we can minimize those phases so it's not, you know, terribly long. But when you're going to go into that access, you have to be specifically in, uh, for example, on Buck Road, you would have to be in the inside left turn lane. And for the westbound bypass, you'd have to be in the outside left turn lane. Or if you try to access that facility and somebody else is next to you, you've got a conflict. You've created a, a weed situation where you could have a crash. So that sets up a, a signing logistical problem. How are we signing for this access? How are we ensuring that these drivers uh, align themselves in the proper lanes? What happens when they have company? People aren't familiar with the area. <clears throat> so not only is it uh, a very significant degradation to the intersection operation, it's also a tremendous safety concern with trying to, to access that thing, especially coming into it. So that, you know, that's one, that's the main reason why we're not in favor of the, the fifth leg option, even though the, the closer alignment does so some improvement over the, uh, the original proposal. The option three was to allow full access and do this, do not block the box, um, as well as do the U-turn. The idea there, I suppose, was to reduce the, the volumes uh, that would exercise the option of using the U-turn. What we have found is that those do not block the box pavement markings are highly ineffective when you're talking about a multiple lane facility. Okay, we're going to have two northbound right turn lanes, we have two northbound left turn lanes, and we have a through lane. So we have five lanes of traffic that we're telling you can't go in this Xbox uh, marked area here. The level of compliance with that is, is probably not going to be very high. Um, when vehicles are seeking to come out there, as Chris said, it's about 130 feet from the bypass to the uh, existing access location. So we have cars coming around the corner, making the dual left, uh, looking to come in, and vehicles coming out. Meanwhile, I have cars coming northbound on Buck Road that are looking to make a left into the site. So now I'm going to introduce a left out of the site. That's the whole reason why in the first place we felt that that was a bad idea to allow those lefts. And we, we right from the get-go, and Jason and Chris will tell you this, right from the back, we said there's no way you can do lefts out of here. It's just not safe. There's just no way. Plus, as you can see from those vehicle cues, most of the time there's going to be vehicles in those lanes, uh, making it very difficult for cars to – they're going to essentially need a courtesy gap not only across, you know, to get into the through lanes, but they got across two left turn lanes just to get into the through lane. And then if they want to make a right, that's even more lanes they got to get over. So that's why option three is kind of a, a no-go for us. Option four, look, I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world. I, I really don't. But I do know that it's going to operate safely because when you go down to make that U-turn, the way that signal is going to be set up is when that left turn lane 
southbound and on Buck is allowed to go, nobody else is going to be allowed to go. The north town, north except northbound Buck Road, they will be able to turn into Mill Pond, and then you'll be able to make a left southbound. I guess that's into Sycamore, or make this U-turn. You can't make rights on red coming out of either roadway. And they're adjusting the geometry so the turn is readily and easily made. So when those cars move, nobody else can possibly hit them. It's physically impossible because no one else is allowed to move. So when I, in total, when I look at this and I look at none of this is great, but when I look at this and I have that alternative, completely rules out any access to the bypass. I look at the severe degradations and safety issues with the fifth leg going in at the intersection. I compare that to what we view as a completely protected and safe move with this U-turn at the intersection. Every day and twice on Sundays, we're going to go with the U-turn. Now, all of that being said, if this is truly, truly a concern, the volumes we're talking about here, this is 49 houses. There's not a lot of volumes. The maximum peak number of U-turns is projected to be 25 over the period of one hour. And it's far less than that in the other peak hour. And on any given off-peak hour, you're talking single digits of vehicles that are actually doing this thing. This is just not a big development, you know, as things go. Our preference from the beginning, and still is, for you, and I know you're not going to like this, but we would like you to reconsider providing access to Mill Pond Road, which we look at. We look at its design. It's basically a collector road. There's not a single residence that fronts on Mill Pond Road. All of the other roads come off of Mill Ponds. So they're local streets, many of them cold as X, as they should be. This traffic would come out on Mill Pond, be able to access that signal. We could eliminate this whole turn scenario. Problem solved. There's literally no safety issue. And the, the noticeable traffic to the communities will be barely perceptible because we're talking in most hours of the day, two, three vehicles. You'll never even notice it. That's my evaluation of all the alternatives. That, that is our position. This is why PennDOT is of the opinion and of our current position. I'll take any questions you may have. And thank you for allowing me to present that. Grant, uh, it's Pete. Just uh, a couple of questions for clarity, I guess. Um, on alternative four, I think one of the concerns, and I, I totally agree with you about the intersection itself for, for passenger vehicles. That once a car can actually get to the lane to make a left turn and ultimately a U-turn to go northbound, a protected uh, turn is, you know, golden, right? Nothing better than that. Um, I think the biggest concern that people have had relative to uh, it, it's the same issue that I think you have on uh, alternative to Charlie with, or any alternative to, I guess, with the people going westbound on the bypass to Buck Road and somebody trying to get into the service road is that if somebody... Uh, for somebody to get out of the service road and get over to that left lane during most times of the day uh, when there's traffic, because there's not really very often where there's gaps in traffic um, during the different light cycles. And um, for somebody to get out of the service road, 
make the right and get across the lanes of traffic and over to Mill Pond, the intersection of Mill Pond to that left turn lane to make a U-turn, that's where the concerns are that that's going to be a really challenging maneuver. And I didn't really think about it until you said it on westbound 332, 413 or whatever, the southbound, that if somebody's kind of on the inside left turn lane and says, oh, I want to turn into Arcadia, and somebody is next to them in the right, you know, the outside left turn lane, that potentially they're going to cut them off or something trying to get in there. I understand what you're saying about that now. I didn't really think of that one before. But I think the same argument could be made about volumes of how many people would actually be doing that and how many of them would be in the wrong lane if you had the lines painted properly on the roads like you do in those dual turn situations. And, you know, that situation I think is probably even, maybe it's not, compared to the same maneuver for people trying to get out and across the traffic to that protected left turn lane making the U-turn an alternative for. So that's, I was just, I guess that was my reaction to both of those. I think, you know, Mill Pond, I would give you that from a purely objective perspective, access to Mill Pond is certainly the best from a traffic flow and safety. But just like breaking the limited access criteria is a non-starter for PennDOT, I think for the residents of the people that live in that community, it's a non-starter for those reasons when at least it's perceived that there's other workable options that would be safer than just the, you know, the right turn out or the box, the block the box, which I agree should be a, you know, don't block the box, which should be a non-starter. So that's just my comment. Peter, let me address the, what you're talking about is you're making a right out and then you have to weave over to get into the left turn lane. One thing I will say is there is 500 feet between that right turn and the beginning of the left turn lane. And then the left turn lane itself is, oh, that's close to, left turn lane itself is 200 feet long. So you have close to 700 feet to get over there. You're only crossing two lanes. Making that right out, what happens is the signal at the intersection with the bypass is going to create some gaps, okay, in and of itself. And by the way, part of the traffic study does evaluate the various gaps. I think I had mentioned that before as one of the criteria we look at. I think perhaps in response to Dennis, I had discussed that. There are actually a good amount of extra gaps. And I'm not saying this road isn't busy, and I'm not trying to pretend it's magically open all the time. I know it's not. What I'm saying is there's not a lot of traffic coming out of this development because it's not very big. And, you know, for two cars an hour to make that right and get out of there, especially during off-peak hours and come over and get into that lane, it's just not going to be very hard at all to do. Now, in the peak hour, it's going to be a little more challenging, but the numbers still show that it works. And one other thing about levels of service, poor performance at an intersection can in itself lead to safety issues. 
you know, we talked about before with uh, alternating cycles, that sort of thing, where people, human nature starts to kick in. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. What the heck is going on here? Okay? So that starts to uh, subconsciously uh, have people go into making poor decisions uh, and having some bad behavior. So, you know, when we can get better levels of service swings, and I got to tell you, some of the differences between some of the option two alternatives and the option four alternatives are upwards of 60, 70, 80 seconds in difference between the degradation versus the improvement we can get uh, in the operations. You know, that's that's significant. That's a lot of time. That's over a minute difference. A minute doesn't seem like a long time, but I'll tell you what, when you're sitting in the traffic light for an extra minute, it sure does. So that, that's some of the uh, thinking that goes into to our decisions here. Uh, uh, yeah, this is Dennis. Um, I would like to uh, take if you can uh, give me five minutes of your time just to show you um, a concept and that's all it is is a concept if um, moving any advantages and disadvantages of this concept of uh, it's a variation of, of option one and let me see if I can share my screen I don't know if you can see it can you see it we got it thank you you got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The original concept was a, a write out only onto the bypass. And I understand the um, issues you face with the uh, uh, getting uh, the highway uh, safety uh, review. Um, but I took it to an extreme, you know, moving it further north. Um, and you, had, you can get it if the traffic is that low of the volume, as you're saying. Um, it's a good option to have a, a diesel lane and an XL lane and allow traffic that will be coming from the north instead of going up to that intersection and making a right hand turn and hitting that service road. Uh, it allows uh, 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 in and out at that location. Um, and it's an extension of the uh, service road. Um, the other thing, uh, I don't know if you can see it all the way in the uh, top right, um, in, in, you know, the, we still have the issue of people coming up um, on Buck Road North that want to turn into the development, into the service road. Um, right now, um, you know, back in 1985, PennDOT required a barrier there to prevent that from happening. Um, when that road was widened at that time. That barrier got taken out. Um, there was no sign posting a, a, um, limiting that until the township uh, passed an ordinance without signage uh, that, that uh, would prevent that left-hand turn from Buck Road North into the service road. Um, if you move the stop, lock, stop line just for the two left-hand turn uh, lanes, going to the bypass and had a signal for uh, that as the stop for people making left-hand turns, that doesn't impact going straight, doesn't impact the right-hand turn lanes going on to the bypass south. Um, I think there's advantages to that, um, not only with 
cars, but buses. You had a second means of egress into and out of that site. Um, you, you got cars, it should be suitable for uh, trucks, and it will reduce any of the impact on that intersection of Buck and Bypass. Just the concept, whether it's located where it is or you slide it down closer, uh, you have a considerable distance to weave over two lanes to get over to the left-hand turn lanes to go into Sycamore. And again, it's a concept. Thank you, Dennis. And, and it's it's not, you know, uh, necessarily illogical or anything like that. Um, what I will tell you is that because the bypass is posted at 55 miles an hour, and people often travel faster than that, it would be viewed as a potential safety issue. Uh, in a vacuum, like if there wasn't another, you know, potential alternative here on, you know, a, a lower speed roadway, uh, you know, a, 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 an ability to provide access in what we view as a protected and safe manner, especially with that exclusive phase down at uh, Mill Pond, you know, this might be something that could be looked at. And then the next question would be asked is, okay, is it connecting a public road? Is this, something like this might be viable if, like I said, number one, there was no other alternative. And number two, it was something that stay was going to connect to Mill Pond. And we had a, a disaster up at Buck and the bypass. And this was going to provide tremendous relief for the whole community. You know, that's something that we could probably sell to FHWA. But in this particular situation, uh, you know, I, I don't think they've let us even in the room to, to try to make an argument that this would be uh, justified, given that, you know, there are uh, there is another alternative and it is exclusively just meant to uh, service this particular site and not the broader community. And if I, you know, if we get, if you do get uh, uh, state uh, approval, uh, would I, I'm not sure what the process would be, as I thought we were going to look at something like that before. Um, and uh, I'm not sure what it would take at the Harrisburg level to have that even considered. And uh, I think it's worth a shot. I think it solves a lot of the problems. Uh, it's in the community's best interest, and as you said, you know the the traffic coming out of there would be limited. Um, if there's a if there is an accident accident or anything at that single point access, uh, that's the service road to Buck right now. Uh, anybody that's in that development is going to be trapped. They're not going to get in and out if they they got they got that service road for any point issue. So it, it, I think it's a viable option. I don't. I know it's not liked, but um, it'd be nice to have uh, support at the state level. And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. Um, you know, is that something that would be workable for Arcadia <coughs> to proceed? I mean, we're we're just looking for access that is. Uh, acceptable to all parties. I mean, we, you know, obviously at the, at the beginning of this process, when we agreed to do the request for um, the uh, uh, breakage of the limited access roadway, 
Um, you know, we ex the report expressed a preference for the bypass option, um, and uh, we've equally been uh, open to considering these other left out options, uh, as Pete described in option two. Um, obviously, we're interested in proceeding with our project and not having an indefinite period of exploration, having, you know, all of us now having invested seven years into this. So, you know, we are looking for a path forward and one that's principally safe uh, and you know, minimizes the negative impacts on the community. So uh, while in an ideal world, we, we might, some of these options might work, I do have a concern about a process which is extraordinarily lengthy and yields the same option set that I think Fran has summarized earlier. Could I just ask a question uh, that came up at our Board of Supervisors meeting? Uh, we've often had discussions on what is a restricted access and not restricted on the bypass. And there is one place I pass every day on the bypass down by Lindenhurst Road. And I think it's a, a parking lot to a big uh, banking building, office building. Uh, it's not a development. It has uh, exit from the parking lot into um, uh, the bypass. And uh, the speed limit there is also 55 miles per hour. How is that uh, permitted, whereas uh, this option that we're talking about here is, is more dangerous? And, and I had anticipated that that would uh, likely come up. Um, I know the location you're talking about, and that is actually designated Brandywine Boulevard. I don't know if it's public road or not, but I do know that it provides a connection between Lindenhurst and the Newtown Bypass. Now, I apologize. I don't know the origin of it uh, or, or, you know, how or when exactly it got approved. But just taking a look at it, it appears to at least satisfy one of the criteria that is uh, contained in the, uh, the uh, Chapter 10 of the Motor Vehicle Publication, whereas it creates a connection between two public roads. Um, in this case, and Dennis, I apologize if I wasn't clear, there is, I, I don't, I can't even start to consider the breaking of the limited access because it simply doesn't meet or come even close to meeting any of those eight criteria that are required to begin considering a break in limited access here. So I apologize if I wasn't clear on that. Uh, and, and John, I, I, I think that's the best explanation I can provide for that, but I, I understand it's incomplete. Uh, Fran, it's Pete. Just, I know that one came up at the uh, August 25th uh, supervisors meeting, and another one that came up was um, the old Swamp Road intersection at the bypass just north of uh, Almshouse or Bridgeboro Road, and um, you know where there's kind of a T intersection there. And uh, I think the uh, you know the discussion at the time for people who were recollecting it was, well, that was just, uh, um, you know, back in the 60s or 70s or something when, um, and it was built into the design and that's just the way it is. So I don't know. 
you know, what that, the rationale. That may very well be true, but let's let's actually park that for a minute, even if that wasn't the case. When you go ahead and, and look on a map and you uh, take a look at what this swamp road function as, what, what is it, okay? It's a road that actually connects all the way over, all the way through Newtown, services the entire community, eventually goes all the way over to the Newtown Yardley Road. It, it meets that it's an actually a very good example of meeting some of the, the criteria that are contained in the uh, Chapter 10 publication that uh, it, it highlights the justifications for why you would break limited access. So whether it was a backroom deal back in the day or not, it, it, it is a good example of what would have to happen for a break in limited, limited access to occur. Basically- A long way from an intersection too, right? I mean, that's the other thing, I, you know, that I, my recollection was that it's way between, you know, two traffic signals and, and it's on a straightaway, that kind of stuff. But I think those are the questions that people aren't familiar with the criteria that you're talking about are asking of us as to, well, why was it okay to do that there? And why was it okay to do it here, but it's not okay to do it here? So I think, you know, you describing this is helpful, at least for me, you know, with the questions that I get. Okay, we can have dinner now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess I just think, you know, if we're going to try to wrap this up, um, I, uh, I certainly appreciate all the, uh, the dialogue here. I guess the one, I, and I understand the rationale is, I think you were very clear in presenting uh, the thought process that's gone into uh, um, the review of the different alternatives Fran, and, and I certainly appreciate that as well. Um, I guess where I'm, uh, you know, have probably the most, I guess, question in my mind still and uh, um, would like to at least explore if there's, if there's a, uh, you know, a crack in the door or a rationale for further review from a safety and overall um, addressing of uh, the driving public's needs is alternative 2C and alternative 4 and the the merits and the, uh, you know, the pros and cons, I guess, of, uh, I certainly understand the service level argument that you presented relative to the difference between the two. Um, I guess I'm, it's less clear to me on the uh, kind of the safety and um, access benefits and of, a, you know, protected left turn into the development and protected, basically protected turns out of the development and the benefits that we get from that perspective. So uh, I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of is, is uh, for, for the sake of evaluating or spending any more time on this, is it a hell no, there's no way that to Charlie would ever uh, pass muster, uh, you know, I don't care what, what data or, or um, argument you bring, it's not going to work. 
I, th I did get the sense of that on alternative one. So I think that one's, at least in my mind, sounds like it's pretty clear. But um, is there, for two Charlie versus alternative four, um, is there worth uh, our efforts to try to look at that further and, and make the argument as a, you know, best balanced choice that one versus the other ultimately takes a day or is it nothing there that's going to convince you otherwise? Your team. But when I look at the comparison of both alternatives and I think of the potential safety concerns uh, of each one versus the 